We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Start for the win. It's good. Shevsky takes flight as SGA plays through the contact, banks it in on the foul. What is up and welcome to the Uncontested Podcast. We are here live following the Oklahoma City Thunder game against the San Antonio Spurs. The Thunder fall by a score of 114 to 106. Another game in the right direction in terms of the reverse standings. A fascinating game from Thunder rookie Josh Giddy. Um, a lot of other players stepped up as well, but let's just dive right into this game. So the first half was interesting to say the least um oklahoma city did not play a single lick of defense san antonio scored 73 points in the first half um if you look at the flip side you know oklahoma city scored 58 points which for that offense honestly isn't bad if the thunder can can score 58 points consistently in any given half their offense would be exponentially better um but when you let up 73 points and a half, you find yourself down 15 because a Spurs team that doesn't historically shoot many threes, um, this season I believe they're bottom five in terms of three-point attempts. They took 18 in the first half, and they, they made seven of those. So shot almost 40% on fairly high volume for context. Oklahoma City only shot 16. So for a team that doesn't shoot many threes whenever you're taking more than your opponent and making more than your opponent. Um, kind of a recipe for disaster in terms of Oklahoma City. Um, again, Thunder offense wasn't bad. They shot 42% from the floor. San Antonio shot 52% from the floor. Um, San Antonio had better ball movement, more assist. They dominated the glass. They, they had a plus 10 rebounding margin in the first half. Um, it was just an interesting, an interesting first half. Uh, especially considering who was giving the production to Oklahoma City offensively. Um, never never thought coming into this game that the guy who would be producing the most for the Thunder would be Teo Maladone, but it was. Um, on both ends of the floor, really. He, he was 5 for 7 in the first half uh, from the floor, 2 of 2 from deep for 14 points. He had 2 rebounds, 2 assists, uh, 1 steal, and 1 really nasty block. For a guy that a lot of folks are down on, like me and me included, um, I wouldn't consider Teo 
a long, long-term NBA player. I think he'll, you know, whether his, his future in Oklahoma City pans out or not, I think he will have a second opportunity on another team um, at some point if he's no longer on the Thunder. Uh, but tonight, uh, in the first half, just dominated. Looked like he was playing summer league basketball again. He uh, was explosive. He was exciting. He was a guy that typically, on a given night, is just kind of bland. He goes out there. He facilitates offense. He takes a couple shots. Um, his stat line's never jumping off the page, but tonight was a little bit different. Um, Lindy Waters came in, was a little bit of a punch, too. Had five points right off the bat. His first five NBA points, in fact, he had a, a three-pointer and a dunk within the first few minutes of being on the floor. Um, Trey Mann, dude is a bucket, came out, had eight or nine points in the first quarter, finished the first half with 11 points, albeit on 10 shots. So he's playing aggressive. He's firing away just like the coaching staff wants him to, and that's fun to see because when he's got the ball in his hands, um, there's not many other players uh, on this team that I'd prefer to see take it to the rim, step back, shoot threes, pass the ball. He's just overall awesome. Um, Josh Giddy, first half, seven points, five rebounds, five assists, um, tracking for a triple-double like like we've seen a lot recently. Uh, he's had back-to-back games with a triple-double coming into tonight against San Antonio, and in the first half was tracking. So he, the offense still is questionable, right? I've, I've said this a couple times. Um, if he wants to be Luka level, he's got to be a scorer. He's got to be a, a, sh- a good shooter. Um, we have not seen that yet, not even close to even what Luka was as a rookie. However, the passing and the rebounding is there. Um, first half, seven points on nine shots, three of nine from the floor, one of three from uh, deep. Not great, but ultimately he was still the best player on the floor for Oklahoma City overall there in the first half. And, and Poku gave some pretty solid minutes as well with seven points in the first half. So um, Again, kind of recapping the first overall, just no defense really from either team. Like Oklahoma City scoring 59, 58 points. Uh, San Antonio should not be celebrating um, considering that Oklahoma City is the worst offense in the entire NBA and the worst three-point shooting team in the history of the last decade around the league. So um, it was interesting. Um, second half, though, um, a little bit different. Oklahoma City actually wins the second half. In the third quarter, they won that one 23-16. Fourth quarter ends up actually being a tie 25-25, and they ultimately lose by eight points. Um, it was a it was a strange ending to a game. Um, I'll kind of blur by the third quarter. Um, this wasn't really noteworthy other than Oklahoma City kind of came out hot right at a half, and uh, like I said, ultimately won the third quarter by seven points. Um, but then the game kind of got away from the Thunder late in the fourth. Josh Giddy, um, in terms of triple doubling, had the points, had the assists, and he was one rebound shy. Uh, I believe it was five minutes and 30 seconds left in the game, somewhere in that ballpark. He's pulled, and we're thinking, wow, Josh Giddy is going to miss his third consecutive triple double because he's getting pulled out of a game that's a blowout. I think at that point it was a 15 or 16 point game. Luckily, um, Oklahoma City, the like the, the tank unit, um, brings the game back a little bit closer. Like it wasn't like they brought the game within two points and Giddy comes in, but they brought it within. I think it was uh, nine or ten points. So like within reach with just a couple of uh, a couple of minutes left, and Giddy comes back in the game, checks in on a on a free throw and um, comes in and gets that rebound shortly after. So Josh Giddy officially 
gets his third consecutive triple-double. I think it's pretty obvious that he's special, right? Josh Giddy, at 19 years old, he's the second youngest player in the league, and he is doing things that we have never seen not only a player in Oklahoma City do, but like players in the history of the game. Um, special by by pure size. He's a 6'9 point guard. Um, there hasn't been many 6'9 point guards in the history of the league, but a lot of them that have had that kind of size have ended up being Hall of Fame type players. Um, he's, he's recorded 71 assists in the month of February. That's fifth in the entire NBA. I'm not talking rookies. I'm talking the entire NBA this is all-star break the month of February has the fifth most assists in the month of February. That is bonkers. Um, he is also only the, the second rookie in NBA history to record three straight triple doubles. Oscar Robertson back in 1960. That is, that is 62 years ago. That the last time someone did that, that was that, that three straight triple double. Oscar did do it four times as a rookie, that, that three consecutive games, the triple double, which is wildly impressive. Like going through the Russell Westbrook um, situation, his final few years in Oklahoma City, where he was just racking up triple doubles. And Oscar Robertson was, was in the arena the season that Russ won MVP, chaining, you know, MVP. And when Russ passed him and all that kind of stuff, like, it's it's spectacular. Russ Russ wasn't a triple doubler until a little bit later in his career. Like he had some here and there. Josh is starting to do it regularly, and I think there's no doubt in my mind SGA and Josh are the backcourt of the future. But maybe Josh is the point guard. I think everyone kind of assumed, based on the way the Thunder played at this point in the season, that Shea was going to play lead. I mean, it's let me rephrase. It's positionless. Poku's going to bring the ball up sometimes. Giddy's going to bring the ball up sometimes. SGA, Trey, like whoever pulls down the rebound is going to bring it down. But in terms of like ball in the hand, facilitating the offense, it's been a lot of Shea this year, and Josh has had to play a lot off ball. Um, since Shea has been out, Josh has been going off. And not to say that they can't work together. Um, I think they're going to be an awesome backcourt. But I think post-All-Star break, we maybe start to see Josh handle more of those duties and try to have Shea off-ball. So Shea, as we know, is a very ISO-heavy player. He um, scores a ton of his points unassisted. I think it was a higher percent last year before Josh was on the team, but like I think last year it was like 80 or 90% um, that, that he scored his points were unassisted. And I don't know how that works off ball, but I think I think that's something we we see explored, like Josh facilitating offense, Shea playing kind of a shooting guard, off ball role, like like doing more of the scoring. Although Shea is a great passer, Shea has high assist numbers. Um, I, I think we see him play a little bit more off ball, and, and Josh playing on ball. Um, Shea and Josh are both jumbo guards. Before Josh was on this team and really inflated our expectations of what a big guard is. Like, Shea at 6'6 was a big guard. If you're listening to this podcast a year ago today, we're probably talking about how Shea is a big guard. Like, 6'6 is not small for a guard. But now that Giddy's there and he's 6'9, it's like, is Shea really that big? Um, all that to say, when you've got when you've got a backcourt of the future and, and Josh and Shea, they both are big 
They both have defensive potential, keyword potential. Shea has been pretty bad defensively this year. Josh is starting to figure it out, but certainly not a, a Lou Dort type defender. They both um, are, are great passers. They both are capable of notching triple doubles. Um, as such, also both great rebounders. We've seen Shea. Shea had a, like a, a 2020 game last year, the year before, like can rebound the ball. Um, when you have that type of backcourt, that allows you to be a lot more flexible with the remainder of your roster. You don't have to have a Rudy Gobert that is a dominant paint force that pulls down 13 rebounds a night because your guards can, can rebound the ball. It also allows you to play three guard lineups. If you wanted Trey Mann or Lou Dort to start on this team long-term, I don't think that's the best option, to be clear. If you wanted one of those two guards to play in a three-guard rotation, you have the ability to do that because your other two guards and Josh and Shea do things that most guards don't do. And so I think the, the flexibility of that jumbo backcourt is going to be very exciting in the future, not just this year, but but going forward as well. Um, it, it's exciting. And, and seeing Josh play like this without Shea is even more exciting because it just goes to show, you know, we see a lot of these young guys, they're able to do this kind of thing um, in, in limited action when they've got the opportunity like this when Shea and Lou are both out. But eventually Josh will be able to do this regardless of, of who's on the floor with him. Like he is going to be that type of talent. Um, again, said this on this pod, said this a million times in the past. His shooting will be his ceiling. Um, if he becomes a scorer and can score 20 points a night, I think Josh and Shea could be the best backcourt in the league at some point. Shea is already capable of scoring 25 points a night. We've literally seen it on efficient numbers. Although this year has been a little bit lower in efficiency, we've seen it last year. Like He was one of the top five players in scoring efficiently. Like, like the... 50 40 80 club he was in while also like shooting on high volume and, and scoring 20 points a game like there was four players that did that last year um if he can get back to that efficiency he's capable of scoring 25 points a night if giddy can if giddy can score at his peak an efficient 17 18 19 20 points a night like that backcourt will be lethal when you've got two guys that can pass rebound score and they're huge that is insane and so sprinkle in Lou Dort, who may or may not be on the team long-term, who's an elite perimeter defender. Sprinkle in Trey Mann, who I'm confident saying this. This is a little bit different than last year when like Poku and Teo were having solid games and it was like, yeah, this is in. They're, they're doing this because there's no one else playing and they're tanking and they're getting a bunch of minutes and shots. Like this is different. Trey is a legitimate bucket. Poku and Teo were getting points because they were on the floor a bunch and someone had to take the, take the shots. Trey is creating for himself. Um, again, I, I will say this a million times. There's a difference between being a good scorer and a good shot creator, and shot creators are special. I'm not saying Jonathan. I'm not. I, I'm not saying Jonathan Kuminga is not a good player. I'm not saying Trey Mann is better than Jonathan Kuminga. But Jonathan Kuminga, over the past several weeks in Golden State has put together some really awesome games. He scored, you know, 20 points a couple of times. He's he's really upping his his offensive production, but it's it's if you go if you go watch his actual buckets and there's nothing wrong with being a guy that dunks a lot. Like dunking is the highest percentage shot in the game. If you are getting 
five free easy dunks a game, there is nothing wrong with that. It's easy buckets. But if you look at his points, it is just kind of driving to the rim, being strong, scoring, catching a um, a pass on the inside, easy layup, you know, knocking down an open three. Trey has the ability to create his own shot. He is he is driving, making moves, stepping back, creating space, getting to the rim, tough finishes, wrapping around players. Also a good passer. Again, he played point guard at Florida. In Oklahoma City thus far, he's been pinned as a shooting guard because that's what he's played because he's on a team with two potentially all-star level point guards. Um, he played point guard in college. He, he can pass the ball, and you saw that tonight. Like He is a good passer. And so you take all of these individual pieces. You take Poku, who tonight ended up with 10 points and 10 rebounds. Like It wasn't an efficient night scoring. He was 4 of 13 from the floor, but he was 2 of 4 from deep. I, I don't think Poku will ever become an all-star level player. But if Poku can come off the bench and give you a double-double every once in a while, knock down some threes, use his length to be disruptive on defense. I'm not asking him to come in and have two blocks like he did tonight every single game. I'm not asking him to go in and steal a bunch of balls every night. If he can just use length to be disruptive, like that doesn't show up in the stat sheet, but some of the best rim protectors in the league are just disruptive. If you can alter shots, if you can you know, stop a guy from even attempting a shot when he gets in the lane, forced to kick out, forced turnovers... That is good defense. It's not all about people when they talk about defensive player of the year. It's like how many how many blocks does he have? How many steals does he have? What's his defensive rating? Like that's great at a surface level. But there's a lot more to being a good defender than that. There's being like like rotating correctly or um you know being a help side defender or um just even even being a good team defender, if your guy gets blown by, sometimes you have to make a decision on the fly. Do I leave my guy who's a good three-point shooter who could get kicked out to? Or do I go try to try to close out and, and slow this guy down, drive into the lane? Like there's instinctual things on the defensive end of the floor. And if Poku can just be disruptive and and be in the right spot and give effort on defense and use his insane frame, he's a seven-footer, he's gonna play, he's gonna play guard and wing. So he's gonna be guarding guys much smaller than him. If he can use that to his advantage, knock down some threes, be consistent, not take the stupid shots where he's driving the lane, turns around, throws it up over his head. Like he could be a good role player. Um, he's two years in when he got drafted. Everyone said, Poku's a four year project. Like no need to judge him until at least 2024, 2025. And I'm already seeing people judge him. Like what, what happened to him being a long-term project? Like it's, it's year 1.5 for him. Even if he is a solid role player, he will 100% be worth the pick at 17 um, based on the versatility alone. Like uh, a three-point shooter that's seven feet tall and can be disruptive on defense is well worth the number 17 overall pick. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Um. Moving on to more themes, I know I've kind of gotten off on a on a tangent there, not talking about the game in general. Um, Trey Mann finishes with 24 points on the night, six rebounds, three assists. Isaiah Roby won the prettiest game. He took 19 shots, scored 17 points, had 12 boards, but he he bobbled a lot of balls. He missed it. a lot of layups. He had a lot of gimmies. Like he could have had 26, 27 points probably. Um, Aaron Wiggins was, was electric on both ends of the floor. He actually was a minus 19 on the night, which is interesting, but he had seven points, um, two of nine from the floor, which isn't great, but he was, um, very active defensively. And then Teo, uh, like I mentioned, the first half was kind of the hero finishes with 22 points, three rebounds, two assists, two steals, and a block on six of 14 from the floor. So he did cool off, but still probably Teo's best or second best game of the season, um, just as a reminder, Oklahoma City falls to the Spurs, 114 to 106. Thunder still have 18 wins on the season. Um, likely won't be, in terms of lottery odds, obviously the the way that the the picks shake out um, could could vary. Like just because you finish with a fourth worst record doesn't mean you're pinned with the fourth worst or fourth fourth best pick. But I think they're probably out of the one, two, maybe even the three slot in the lottery standings. Um, but with 18 wins, like anything could happen. Pistons won tonight. There's still a huge gap between Oklahoma City and Detroit, but but who knows? Shea's injury, although Mark pregame said he was progressing the way they're expecting. Um, consider the initial verbiage of his injury, saying he'll be reevaluated after the All Star break. Just because he's on track doesn't mean he's coming back the first game after the All Star break. Um, trending in the right direction or as expected could mean reevaluated right after okay he's still on track now he's two weeks out like it could be really anything um the, the fun part is that regardless of him being out or even Lou being out more recently um when Josh Giddy's on the floor this team's a ton of fun um the Spurs interesting team like when I look at San Antonio they've got good pieces Keldon Johnson is spectacular Jakob Pertle is a fun young center DeJounte Murray is obviously an all-star. Devin Vassell is a lot of fun. Zach Collins, I think, is a, is already played horrible tonight, is a, a good guy to take a flyer on. Um, Lonnie Walker is intriguing. Josh Primo is the youngest guy in the league. Like They've got some guys, but when you've got 22, 23 wins and you're likely going to end up with like the 7, 8, 9, 10 pick, you just don't want to be in the middle. I feel like San Antonio is is stuck in the middle. Like They're too good to tank, but they're not good enough to make the playoffs and they're going to have to make an impulse move at some point, one direction or the other, whether it's like trading DeJounte for a huge package or maybe it's Lonnie Walker or Keldon Johnson, who is like a young upcoming player, but gets a high future pick. Like, I don't know what it is, but San Antonio is stuck in the middle. That's not where you want Oklahoma City to be, to be, to be fully clear. Um, Teams get sucked into the middle as as the years goes on, and we see that with the Kings. Like the Kings had a couple of top picks. They get Fox, they get Bagley. Bagley doesn't work out. Fox does, and then they get Halliburton kind of 
Uh, mid lottery, he's great, but they trade him away. Like you've you've got to hit whenever you've got the opportunity to be in that kind of top five range. And San Antonio just simply doesn't have the roster to be in that top five range, barring lottery odds being very much so in their favor. And so I think currently today, like the Spurs have probably a better overall roster. That's why they're winning more games. They've got DeJounte Murray, who's an all-star. They've got some young, intriguing pieces that are a little bit further along than some of the Thunder guys. But I think long-term, um, Oklahoma City has a brighter future, um, has obviously better draft capital, a better chance of getting a transit, like a, a insane star in this upcoming draft. So all that to say, losing to the Spurs tonight, positive direction for the Thunder because it just gives them one more loss in their effort to gain a top-five pick. I'm still team Jabari. Uh, I think Paolo's my number two. Chet probably my number three. In fact, as I'm recording this, Chet is about to go play um, a game, a late 10 p.m. game. So if you're interested in Chet and you're listening to this, um, if it's right when it drops, turn on your TV, go watch some Chet Holmgren. If it's the next morning, go check out his box score. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he plays and uh, continues to put together a resume leading up to March Madness and, and ultimately where his draft profile sits. But I think I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up there. We've got the All-Star break upcoming. Josh Giddy will be in the Skills Challenge as well as the Rising Stars game. It'll be the first time he's on national TV. The Thunder have no national TV games this year. They have like one or two NBA TV, but not everybody has that channel. So this will truly be the first time that the general public, the, the common NBA fan, gets to see Josh Giddy live in action, which is exciting. Um, I think just via Twitter, he's already kind of becoming a, a well-known name, not a household name, but a well-known name. And if he's able to show out in some of these events, and there's plenty to talk about, you you already know during both those events, the first thing the announcers are going to be saying is, oh, here's Josh Giddy, three straight triple doubles, you know, Western Conference Rookie of the Month, three times in a row. There's going to be plenty to talk about with him. It's going to be great to see him get hyped up and get some of that recognition he deserves for um, kind of missing out on on the national stage for, for the, the season up to this point and for the remainder um, of the season. Um, but yeah, he's he's four triple-doubles in at this point, tied with Jason Kidd for seventh all-time among rookies. Um, one of just three players in NBA or in the past 25 years to um, notch four or more triple-doubles in their rookie season. So in the last 25 years, only Giddy, Simmons, and Doncic have actually uh, accomplished that four-plus triple-doubles. So ton of fun to watch we'll have the all-star break here and then starting next week on thursday and friday the thunder will have a back-to-back against the suns and against the pacers so eight days off we'll still be podcasting still be covering the all-star events still have our typical sunday night pod where we'll talk about those events um, but until we talk to you guys then hope everybody has a great all-star weekend um, wish all the best to josh giddy And until then, thunder up.